get myself in the way. We started this series a couple weeks ago called I Love This Bar. And if you're new, what, what do you mean I love this? Uh, with a with message called I Love This Bar. Um, when we first became pastors here, Watts Bar Lake, Watts Bar Community, well, we got the nickname The Bar. Uh, and we embraced that nickname, The Bar. And mainly because it ticked off a lot of religious people, but we, we, we embraced it. So we even had hats made, welcome to The Bar. We had stuff, and, and our whole thing was, yeah, man, you know, hey, Drink from the fountain that never runs dry. So we took it a different, but people didn't like it. But last week, uh, the message was, or the first week, I love this bar. And I was talking about why I love this community, why I love this place. And I say that I love my church. I love it. And we talked about this, how you can say, I love college football. I love uh, Tennessee. And nobody will look at you weird at all. But going to work tomorrow or school and just in the middle of a conversation, just blurt it out. I love my church. And just see the looks you get. Um, and, and, but let's be fair. The church has kind of taken a beating uh, over the past few years. And some of it has been deserved. Are, are you hearing me? Because church is not, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. And I hear the many reasons why people have stopped going to church or they don't feel the need to belong to the church. I hear, I tell they're hypocrites at church. There are people that don't live out what they confess. I've been hurt by the church. And can I tell you, you know what? I get that because Denise and I know what it's like to be hurt by church. Know what it's like to be hurt by leadership. And I know what it's like to be the one giving out the hurting, if I'm being honest. I've said things. I've done things that have hurt others. And, and so, but I also gave you this example uh, when we started this of the ark. Uh, uh, and, and remember when, when God told, told Noah, said, hey, get all the animals, put them in the ark, get your family, put them in the ark. Where's the safest place to be? In the ark. Let me ask, did it, was it messy in the ark? Did it start stinking in the ark? Were there family arguments in the ark? Come on, they were still family. Were there disagreements in the ark? Yet where was the safest place to be? Same as with the church. Same as with the church. Yes, church. Can I tell you this? Church, if it's operating like it should be, it's going to be messy at times. Church is messy. Church, yes, church has its jerks in it. Now's not the time to look to the left or right. Church has mean people in it. Uh, church has hypocrites in it. Come on. Church, church has, uh, at any given, what I love about our church, at any given moment, you could come in here on a Sunday and you could be sitting by some, beside somebody who's just come off a seven-day bender. Any given moment, you could be sitting by somebody that had to, had to take a hit outside just to be able to, to level their anxiety to be around people to come in here. At any given moment, you could be sitting beside someone struggling with their sexual identity. Any given moment, you could be sitting beside someone who last night they were contemplating taking their life. Someone abused, you could be sitting next to an abuser. Are you hearing me? So yes, church is messy. But at the end of the day, the safe and best place to find yourself is in the local church. And I'm telling you, Denise and I found this out, like I said, over the past couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, 
We started with this. It's all in there. It starts in the surf. And I showed you three miracles in the Bible. Every one of those miracles started with who? The servants. Even Jesus was one of those. Started with the servants. And we talked about this. You never look more like Jesus than when you serve. When you serve. And we even took, we took a time. How many was not here when I talked about uh, it's all in the serve? How many was not, not here? Uh, the good news for you, if you call this place your home, we're going to give you an opportunity because uh, what we did, I, I had people raise your hand. We handed out cards for you to get involved because we believe if you call this place home, you should be serving in some capacity. And, and we said, hey, fill it out. Put What is your number one choice? I want to be here. What's your two? What's your three? No more than three. Where where, where you want to serve? And, and Matt, can I tell you this? The response we got, uh, I, asked, I was asking um, Amanda how the response we got for our nursery, and she says, it was incredible. We've got it now where we can put people on a six-week rotation. And, and I'm telling you, people are stepping up. We still need people in children's ministry. We still need people uh, to, in, in the uh, sound and media area. So we're going to give you a chance before you leave today. Today, are you ready? Well, some of you are. Look at your neighbor. We're going to do this preacher thing. One, because I need a break. Uh, and just say, all or nothing. Oh, now, look at your second choice. And tell them it's all or nothing. Oh, now, I know we're in church. I know we're in church. Anybody ever play cards, poker? Some of you being honest. The rest of you, I'm in church. I ain't telling. I've, I ain't played no poker. My, my Uncle Gifford was an avid poker player. When I say avid, I'm not talking about having some friends over. I'm talking about he played in serious tournaments. Uh, he, he, he played in one of the World Series of Poker tournaments. This man, he, he won a whole lot of money, and he lost a whole lot of money. Now, I don't know much about poker, except I did watch the movie Maverick, uh, where they play poker in that movie. And, which is a great movie. Uh, and I've watched some movies, so I don't know a lot, but I do know a couple of phrases. One of those phrases is what they call the buy-in. This is where, what, what the buy-in is, it's how much you've got to play to even be able to sit at that table or be part of the tournament. You've got to buy into the tournament. And it can, in the World Series of Poker, get this. The buy-in ranges from $10,000 just to play. To when you get to the higher stakes, $250,000 to buy in, to buy in. I, I, I'm talking that, that's, that's not even, that's just to be able to play. So there's the buy in. Then there's this phrase called all in. And what this phrase means is when a player says, I'm all in, they take those chips. They put them in the middle of that table. And what they're basically saying is, hey, I'm willing to risk it all. I'm either going to walk away from this table a big winner or I'm going to walk away from this table with nothing. But there is no plan B. I'm all in. I'm all in. My mom and dad, when they started this church 38 years ago, that's basically what they did. Took all their chips, put them in the middle table and said, God, I'm all in. We're all in. My dad sold a very lucrative and successful HVAC business and where he began to just pastor because this is what God said, this is where I want you to be. They went all in. 
uh, when Denise and I became pastors here in June of 2012, we would very soon be challenged with the question, are you buying in or are you all in? Have you just bought into the idea of what pastoring a church looks like? Because here's what I found since I've been a pastor 10 years. Everybody thinks they can pastor and do it better than you. And so which I say, I will gladly take a month off and let you step into these shoes. And, and then let's see if you're even saved by the end of that month. Let's see. <laughs> but we soon discovered uh, that there were here, that those here that were part of the church, been part of the years, here for years, that they would be asked the same question, are you buying in or are you all in? And here's what we found out. As long as we didn't require anything from them, as long as nothing changed, as long as we did things the way they thought they should be in, they were what they considered all in. But the moment we began to require something out of them, the moment we made them accountable, the moment we began to change things, we lost people. And we were ready for that. We, we, we had talked to a lot of people, and, and we were ready for that. And, and I'll tell you this. There have been times over the past 10 years that Denise and I have been here that I've had meetings with God and uh, have talked to God and, uh, about things that I didn't like or about ways we've been hurt or felt betrayed and things we've gone through, things we didn't understand. And in those meetings, God has said, okay, Kelly, did you just buy in or are you all in? Did you just buy into the concept of what it would be like or are you all in for this community and what I want to do with it? Are you truly all in? And, and I look and I think about others that are part of this body that had to decide whether they were just bought in or whether they were all in. I think about marriages that Denise and I have counseled with and worked with, that there came a point in that marriage that they had decided, did we just buy into the idea of marriage, what we thought our concept of, or are we all in when it comes to this marriage? And I've watched God transform different things. I've watched business owners that had to say, are we all in when we we get this is a vision God gave me? Are we just going to buy in or are we going to go all in with it? And I thought about Denise and I sitting in when we were talking about coming up here to become pastors. And my mom had set up a meeting with us and some of the leadership here. And I remember sitting in my dad's old office, my office now, and sitting there. And hearing these, this leadership, my mom, who today is three years since the anniversary of her passing, she'd sit right here, right there's where she said. She was there. Faye was there. Kim and Bobby Moffitt were there. Kevin and Renee Human, Renee Human were in that meeting. Bob Kerber was in that meeting. Is there anybody that I'm missing? Was in that meeting. And, and I remember them saying, we're all in. We're, we're behind you. We're all in. We're, we are behind you. We're ready for some change. We're ready for something different for, from what it did. And, and here's the, the truth. 95% of those people that we met with are still with us. They're still with us. They're still backing us. And can I tell you, I, this may be very honest. I have given them reasons not to stay. I, I know I seem like a very gentle person, easy to get along with, 
But I have given them reasons. I've said things. I've been harsh with them. And their, thing, their whole thing was, did we just buy in or are we all in? And I'm so thankful for the leadership that God has blessed us with. But when it comes to church, when it comes to a community of believers, what does that look like? What does it look like to say, we are all in, it's all or nothing? Here's what I believe it looks like, and I'm going to back it up with Scripture. Uh, I believe when it comes to a church, a community of believers, all in is what happens when a group of believers decide to lay it all on the line, leave no chips on the table, there's no plan B, they're betting their lives on the purposes and plan of God. That's what they're doing. We believe this is the purpose. I'm willing to go all in. That term all in, you know, it's not just a poker term. It's used in sports. You'll hear sports teams. We're going all in for this game. Man, we're all in for this. You'll hear businesses talk about it. Uh, we're all in. I, I was doing some research. Uh, when I say research, I was Googling all in. And, and, and I came across this documentary about the L.A. Chargers. I'm not an L.A. Charger fan. By the time I stopped watching this, I'm like, I was a fan of the coach. I was a fan of some of the players. I just want you to check out two minutes of this clip. Play that for me. Ready? All in season two. Brandon Staley. Take one. <laughs> Another year of it. Um, Here we are. What we're hoping to create here is a, a standard that goes beyond winning. Brandon Staley, 38 years old, is now the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. No! Muppet! When you say we're all in this together, you got to show that. Throw when you got me, babe. First time, brother. First of many. You got to be more physical! Nice ball. I'm completing a, I'm completing a pass today. You got to put the focus on the blossom. We don't need to worry about anybody else. Is everybody on board with that? Good. Who's got it? Chargers do. And it is broken up by Derwin James. Without this guy, this whole movie's different. Game ball, Derwin James. Picked off by Derwin James. Let it fly. As long as you think there's pressure, there is pressure. There should be no pressure when you go out there and play. It's stuff that we've done our entire life. Launches deep. Jalen Guyton. What 35th touchdown toss. A franchise record. Edler. In life, you're going to go through ups and downs. Stop. To have Sean Slater, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see this team challenge supremacy in the AFC for a long time. The division is where you have to start everything. And to be a champion, those are the challenges you're hoping for. The Chiefs and the Chargers, they could surprise everyone and we could have a, a new narrative on the AFC West. Let's fight for each other all day. I promise we won't like what we see. There's always games that players, they just mean a little bit more to you. Rush, throws toward the end zone, Touchdown! Chargers! 
knew this was going to be a great game. We had no idea how great it was going to be. Why not go to overtime? A touchdown ends this game. Home shotgun snap, looking left now. Middle of the field, there's Kelsey again. And he breaks the other way, has a lane, still on his feet. Kelsey into the end zone, game over, Chiefs. Absolutely heartbreaking. Chargers Raiders rivalry is one of the most intense rivalries in the National Football League. And it's fourth down and two, and the Chargers love to go for it on fourth down. Throws caught. Jalen Guy. Two seconds left. Here is the season. Caught in the end zone by the big body, Mike Williams. Insanity. 29. We are in overtime. Snap. Hold. Kick is up and it is over for the Chargers. The Chargers season has come to an end. I think the knives are out for Brandon Stanley. Chargers aren't going to the playoffs. Couple things said in that that really stuck out to me as I watched it. Uh, the head coach said this, he said, what we hope to do, we hope to create here is a standard that goes beyond winning. I said this at 9 a.m. What does it matter if we think we're winning? If the world don't even want anything to do with us. If they look at us like a bunch of hypocrites, self-righteous people that think they've got it all done. What's the point in winning? In our purpose, I want to create a culture that goes beyond winning here. Well, another coach said this, he said, if you're going to say you're all in, you've got to show it. What he said is, that means those players, you've got to be invested in this team. The time on and off the field, your talents, your abilities, your heart, the, the, the ability to disagree, the ability to go through heartbreaks like we witnessed and still come together as a team. And then, man, one of the things that really... Head coach said this, and some of you may have called it didn't. He said, you've got to put the focus on the L.A. Chargers. We don't need to worry about anybody else. Is everybody on board with that? Good. What is he saying? Hey, quit worrying about what others are doing the way others are doing it. He said, if you'll put your focus, your attention on you getting it right, on you doing what needs to be done, you putting in the work, if you will do that, then it's going to show on the field. It's going to show at school. It's going to show at work. It's going to show at the gym. It's going to show at the park. When you do it, quit, quit worrying about what others are doing. Put the focus here. I'm telling you, the watching that, and that's one of the reasons I, I love football, but the willingness of these players. I watched Hendon Hooker last night take a hit and went out, and then they, they thought he might have been out the rest of the game, but yet he came in and played hurt. His willingness to lay it all on the line and to give all for a football, for what? A trophy? A ring? A recognition? Temporary success? How much more, church, should we who are recipients of God's reckless grace and mercy be willing to lay it all on the line? I mean, how much more should we who understand what he accomplished on the cross for our sins? I mean, how much more should we have been shown that thing? Should we all be all in for the reckless grace and show that to the world? Here's the truth. God's already gone all in for us.
Jesus has already gone all in for us. The only thing that is keeping us, this church, our communities, families, from experiencing real lasting revival is God is waiting for a group of people that will say, I'm all in. It's all or nothing. So what's happened to the church? Now, this is going to age some of you. Anybody remember cassette tapes? Yeah, some of y'all are like, it's an antique for some of these tapes. That's an antique. You still got them? Man, you better hold on to those. They may be worth a couple of dimes here in the future. <laughs> so, uh, for those that don't, anybody remember this? You couldn't afford to buy that whole album, but you liked that one song. So you'd call the DJ. Hey, play this song for me. And you'd put that blank tape in that cassette player. And you would wait. You'd hear the song, oh, get it on there. And if you're lucky, come on. I want to I call in a dedication for my boo. <laughs> and then you, hopefully you got that on tape too. But then what would happen? Now let me ask you, was the quality as good? But it was still recognizable, right? You could still tell. But then what happened? Your friend, oh, I love that song. Make me a copy. So then you pulled out the big boom box. It's got the double cassettes. Come on. You put that master here, put that blank, and then dub it over, and you dub it over, and you dub it over, and pretty soon it's not even recognizable. That's what's happened to the church. We've tried to copy it, copy it, copy it, and we are so far of what, from what the original church looked like or was meant to be that now the world... It's unrecognizable to them to the point where they say, I don't want anything to do with that. And that was not the case with the original church. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at, I want to look at the first century church, the OG church, their level of commitment to the church, their, devote, their devotion, their level of intensity and passion and that said, man, I'm, I'm all in. And we're going to be in Acts 2, but before we go there, I want, I want to show you a couple of members of the early church and what the Bible says about them. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talks about a man named Stephanus. And this isn't a man that grew up in church. He, he had been, he, in fact, you'll see when we read the scripture that it says that he was one of the first fruits. He was a new convert. He was a new believer. Look what it says about Paul's description of him. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And they have, what have they done? Devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. New Living says they are spending their lives in service to God's people. But for some of you OG people that like the King James Version, it says it best. Look at this. You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achai, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They've addicted. The Greek word there for they have addicted means to place in a certain order. In other words, they said, it, this is a priority in our life. This is where it is in our life. Here's what, anybody know uh, uh, somebody that smoked, used to smoke, but they don't smoke anymore? Come on, aren't they the worst? <laughs> Ex-smokers are the worst. They are so mean to people that smoke. 
I mean, they don't, it's like, we never did that. We never did. Anyway, let's move on. But, but it, and maybe you smoke now. That was just a service announcement. Uh, but maybe you smoke now. But what, those that really smoked, what was the first thing they did in the morning? Smoke cigarette. What's the last thing they did before they laid that head on a pillow? Smoke That's what they're saying was the household of Stephanus. The first thing they thought about in the morning was, hey, how can I be of assistance to the church? How can I, how can I help God? How, where, where can I serve today? And before they laid their head to bed, they were thinking about the same thing. That's where they were. That's the description of what they were doing. And because of what it had done for the gospel had done for Stephanus's life, his family's life, what they had experienced, they didn't just buy into it. They were all in. They were all in. Here's the thing about Stephanus. When you read about his life, you don't hear about any great miracles that he performed. You don't hear about some great sermon that he preached. But can I tell you, if... if if what is said about him, I, whether they say Kelly was a great preacher, Kelly was, did this miracle, Kelly helped perform, no. What I want to say, Kelly was devoted to the work of God. And that's what they said. They said he was devoted. He devoted himself for that. Now, let's jump another place um, where we talked about being devoted, about being all in or just buying in. First Samuel 15, God uh, tells King Saul, uh, he said, I want you to go to the town of the Amalekites, kill everybody. Kill everybody. And, and, and kill, hey, the best, I want to kill the sheep, goats, cattle, animals, kill it all. And here, here's what 1 Samuel 15, 9. Saul and his men spared Agag, King Agag's life, kept the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. In fact... They kept everything that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or poor quality. They destroyed everything except what appealed to them. They start out, this is the word of the king, this word of the king. Let's go all in. Oh, well, that looks pretty good right there. Let's keep that. God didn't really mean everything, did he? Come on. And so it said they kept what appealed to them. And God tells the prophet Samuel, he says, I want you to go confront Saul about this. Saul goes and asks, uh, Samuel goes and asks Saul, hey, why didn't you obey God? And look what Saul's response is. Verse 20, 22. I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops, how many know your troops don't do anything without an order from the king? Then my troops, they're the ones that brought in the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the plunder. If that's not good, they wanted to sacrifice it to you, Lord. He didn't do what God told him to do. He knew it. And he immediately throws his soldiers under the bus. And the troops, troops wouldn't do anything that the king didn't tell them to. And, but so then let's make it spiritual. Well, we kept them to make a sacrifice to you, God. Here's, here's why I didn't go all in. I thought I came up with a better plan. I know you told me to do this, God. But I thought, how much better of a sacrifice if I just kept this, if I held on to this? 
And look what God says to Saul through the prophet. Verse 22, Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? He goes on to say obedience is better than sacrifice, but that last line nails me to the wall. What is more pleasing, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? What pleases God more? The things you do, the things you're doing that you call sacrifices or, 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 or offerings? No. God says what pleases me more is your obedience what pleases me more than you buying in is when I see that you're all in. That's what pleases me more when I see that you're leaving nothing on the field. You, you, you're putting it all on the line. So let's finish this by looking at the OG church, Acts 2, if you got a Bible. little background before we dive in here. Um, Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected. Uh, 500 of his followers see him ascend into heaven. That's 1 Corinthians 15. His followers then go back to Jerusalem Jerusalem to hold a prayer meeting uh, for, for the comforter, the one that Jesus promised them to. The prayer meeting starts going a little long, so it goes from 500 down to 120. Some of y'all, come on, y'all been there. Y'all couldn't even last 30 minutes. Uh, but he starts going a little long, goes from 500 people down to 120 people. And then the Bible says the prayer meeting gets interrupted by the sound of a mighty wind, followed by the appearance of flames of fire settling on the, on the believer's head. Come on, that's, that's crazy. I mean, can you imagine being there? I, I'd be like, hey, 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 something on your head. And we're like, let me see, let me see. You're turning your head right at me. Well, let's move on. I'm getting up. But here's the thing. Up to this point, Holy Spirit had only moved on people. But that was the day he decided, I'm going to move in to people. And I'm going to tell you, that was an important day when he began to make his home inside of the followers of Jesus. After that encounter, this huge crowd gathers around the commotion. Peter, the very one who just weeks earlier had vehemently denied Christ, the very one who got it wrong more than he got it right, he stands up and preaches to this crowd the gospel, and they see 3,000 people come to Christ that day, that day. Now, that's Acts chapter 1. 1 through 41, or Acts chapter 2, 1 through 41. Verse 42, look at this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper. No, I'm not going to say it. Uh, let's go on. And shared their meals with great joy and generosity. I said in the first service, and I think it got a little... Uh, so I thought, maybe I'll say it later. Who knows? Uh, all the while praising God. Now, now I've got your curiosity. Don't I? Uh, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's the first century church. And you may say, well, pastor, it was all new to them. 
It's exciting. It's just like a, a new relationship. You're excited. You're willing to go all in. But five years down the road, you've been married them five, five years. You know, you let your body go. Uh, the wives running around in, in uh, oversized uh, baggy pants. And, and you, you know, you're, you ain't washed or bathed in three days. Some of y'all, I described y'all's life. But anyway, it's on. No, when, when you read Acts, it covers 30, the first 30 years of the church. And in those 30 years, you, there's not a time where there weren't healings taking place, when there weren't people coming to Jesus, when people were not passionate about it. Many people believed, it says in Acts 4, 4, the number of men believed now totaled 5,000. That's just the men. That's not counting the women. So if the church is anything like now or then like it is now, that means we could probably assess that the women were about 10,000. Some of y'all get it. Some of my church, they've been in the church for a while. You get it. Uh, then in chapter 5, we get introduced to a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. People were given to the church. They were given to the needs of the church. And, and to help those in needs. And, and people were selling property and giving the money. So Ananias and Sapphira, they said, hey, we got, let's sell our property. And look what happens. And I, Acts 5.2. He, Ananias, brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, of course, he kept the rest. And Peter looks at him. What are you doing? It was your money to give. You want to give all of it? You want to give part of it? Why are you lying about what you're giving? Because you've not lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? He falls over dead. Servants come in, they haul him out about three hours later. Here comes his wife. She's been at a shopping spree with all that extra money she's got. And she's left the bags outside, of course. And she walks inside and pretty much tells the same story. Yeah, we gave it all. It's all. He's like, again, why are you lying? There's no need to lie. You've lied, and bam, she drops dead. And they carry her out. Verse 11 says this, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard about what happened. You think? In fact, I think right now is a great time to take up the offering. If I can get the ushers, come on up. So, 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 don't be holding out. No. Here, here's what Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse said about Acts chapter 5. Look at this. If God acted in the same way today that he did in the fifth chapter of Acts, you'd have to have a morgue in the basement of every church and a mortician on the pastoral staff. Mm. Some of you don't know whether to say amen or just sit quietly. After the word got out about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, there was this realization in the first century church. God is doing something. And he is so serious about what he's doing. He is going to protect, he is going to do whatever is necessary to protect the integrity and the character of what he is doing in this church. Do you know what happens right after that? Look, verse 12, 13. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared join them. Even though 
they all had high regard for them. They all respected them, had a high regard, but no one wanted to join them. Why? Because they realized, hey, you're either all in. There is no just buying into this. You're all in. But guys, it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 14 to 5. Some of them said, no, I don't want to be part of that. Verse 14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. There was a group of people that saw what God was doing, what God was restoring, what he was, how he was moving. And they said, I'm willing to risk it all. I'm willing to go all in. Hey, I know what they're saying, but I'm going to tell you what the gospel and what it's, how it's shaping us, how it's shaping people. I am willing to risk it all the way it has transformed people. I am all in. They saw a group of people that were passionate in their devotion to studying God's word, to worshiping and fellowship with, with their brothers and sisters. They saw a group of people that were committed to doing life together, and they said, we want to be part of that. What if, what if we began to just do that? Be passionate about God, passionate about the study of his word, passionate about people, even those that are different from us. Maybe then people would look on and say, I want whatever they've got. Let's, let's close this thing out. I want to look again at the birth of the church in Acts 2.42 couple of things that I believe what they had then that, that is missing now that we've got to get back. All the believers, say that, say all the believers did what? Devoted, Devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. All the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So, what's the ingredient? What, what did the original church have that over the years has, has kind of been taken out? You, you ever ate, ate something that maybe your, your grandma made and, man, it was delicious. Somebody tried to copy it and you ate it. And you're like, no, there's something missing. It's all right, but there's something. So what is the missing ingredient that the original church had that's somewhere along the line? has begun to be left out. Go back to verse 42. All the believers did what? Come on, they did what? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowshipping. Underline that word devoted. The Greek word, and I will not even try to pronounce it here, translate it here. Here's what it means. To be devoted or constant to one. To be steadfastly attentive to. To give unremitting care to a thing. To continue all the time in a place. To persevere and not faint. He uses this same word devoted in Acts 1.14 where he says the disciples devoted themselves to meeting together. In Acts 2 in verse 46, he used again when he says every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. The first church, the first century, they were marked by their devotion. 
In fact, I'll say it like this if you're taking notes. They understood this. Devotion over emotions. Devotion over emotion. Here's what I mean by that. They did not allow their emotions, their feelings getting hurt, things not going their way to keep them from being devoted to what God had called them to do. Now, I, I've got a close-knit family, very close-knit family. I talk to my brothers daily. I talk to my kids daily. Talk to my wife daily. Listen, there's only, my wife hates this joke. But she's moving kind of slow, so I'm going to tell her. Uh, there was only a week went by that we did not talk, that I didn't talk to her. And that's because I didn't want to interrupt her. Uh, so, so <laughs> she can't catch me right now. So, uh, but we've got a tight-knit family. We ha- our family has disagreements. Our family has arguments, heated arguments. Come on. Any other family have heated arguments? I have a brother that I do not agree with on so many levels. I mean, in fact, never never mind. I do not agree with him on so many levels, but not once have I ever thought about saying, listen, you are no longer my family. Not once have I ever done that. Not once have I said, but if you don't change, you're not going to be part of this family. Not even through arguments, the disagreements. Why? Because I am devoted to them. I will fight for them. I will fight alongside of them. I will be there for them. Listen, I fought with my brothers one minute, and then the next minute, be ready to step up to somebody else that's trying to talk bad about them. Why? Because they are my family. I'm devoted to them. No matter what my emotions may be, my feelings may be, I am devoted to them. I'm devoted to them. I don't even agree with them all the time. That was the early church, the first century church. They were devoted to one another and to God. One study I read said they bound themselves to each other with a vow or promise. They bound themselves to God and to one another with a vow, a promise, saying there is no plan B for me. I'm all in no matter if we disagree or or on some things, no matter if we get into a fight, no matter if they say something or sing something I don't like, I'm all in. I believe that is the ingredient that the first century church had that this church now is missing. Devotion. People get mad at the smallest little thing, and they'll jump from church to church to church to church, and they'll wonder why they're not growing. Let me tell you, a potted plant can only grow so much. Until you dig somewhere your roots can grow deep, you're only going to be a potted plant. That's all you'll ever be. That's another message. Let's keep moving on. The second thing, the second ingredient that's missing, I believe, is found in verse 43. A deep... Sense of, say that with me, came over them all. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The church, here's what I think the first century church that we don't have is a value for his presence more than his presence. They had a value for his presence. In other words, their relationship wasn't um, transactional with God. 
And I believe that's where a lot of, where a lot of Christians, their relationship with God, with Jesus, is transactional. I, I'll give you this part of me if you'll give me that. I'll do this if you'll do that. And, and so it becomes a transactional relationship. And, I have, and here's the thing. I think a lot of marriages are in trouble because of that same thing. But they were after his presence more than his presence. And I'll tell you, that's where we got to get back. I think it's one of the things that have been missing for a while in the church in America is an awareness of who God really is. Uh, uh, see, that we, we, we've, somewhere along the line, we've had this lack of awareness of his holiness, of who he is, of his all, how awesome he is, how righteous he is, how good he is. We've lost that. And yes, are we friends of God? Yes, but let me tell you something else. He is king. He is God. He is holy, and I am not. With our lack of awareness of God's holiness, well, what filled the gaps? Complaining, self-righteousness, selfishness, whining, griping to, to the point where those looking on, they see the church fighting and griping. They don't want nothing to do with us. We've got to get back to where we're more keen, keenly aware of his presence. If I can get the team to We've got to get back to the point where we recognize this. He's God, whether he does things the way I want him to or not. He's God, whether things turn out the way I want them to or not. He is holy, regardless of my, if my situation changes. He's God. Maybe instead of all or nothing, maybe it's what we should be saying is all or nothing. Either we get back to the awe and wonder of who God really is, or we've got nothing to offer this world. Stand with me across this room.